Hello, funky listeners, and welcome to another special episode of Funk Radio. This is your host, Peter. And this is your host, Kyle. And you are the listeners. And we are the podcasters. Um, fail. Um, so what are we talking about today, Peter? Uh, I recently, I don't remember how I came up with this, but I, I basically recently, um, was thinking a little bit as one does. I was sitting back, um, pondering life and I was thinking about royalty free music platforms. These type of platforms have become more prominent, at least as far as I've seen in the last, I don't know, five years or so. And I, I was kind of wondering, cause obviously as a music podcast, many times in the past, we've talked about how various changes in the music industry have affected how musicians get paid essentially. Yeah. Um, I know we've talked about Spotify probably at least twice in like a long form. And, you know, I, and I wouldn't say that these platforms are a shift in this at the same level that Spotify was, but as a new business model that's becoming more popular, I'm curious how that could influence at least how some people choose to monetize their music. And so this discussion will be kind of about explaining what some of the more popular platforms are, different aspects of them, how they compare to each other, not necessarily as a guide, but just kind of as a conversation of if you were a musician joining onto one of these platforms, what does that essentially mean for you? Um, Yeah. But Kyle, you and I are both coming at this kind of from the consumer standpoint of we actually each utilize these kinds of platforms in our day-to-day lives, which is, I guess, kind of where our familiarity comes from. Yeah. Um, yeah, sometimes for my for my job, I need to uh, get sort of instrumental music to put into edits that I work on, uh, whether that be like corporate videos or ads or whatever, or what have you. So I'll often use a site called Premium Beat, uh, which lets you purchase sort of quote royalty free music of a bunch of different genres um to kind of fit into your videos as like you know kind of underpinning music that plays you know while so either there someone's talking or sometimes just over you know the content and um it's the yeah the I'm not entirely sure how the other ones work but the way premium beat works is you can either purchase the songs individually for like a flat price and sometimes they'll offer different cutdowns of the song. You can get like the full song. You can get like a 30, uh, 30 or 60 second sort of cut down of it that has like an in and out. Um, hmm. and, or you can, if you don't want to pay for the song flat, there's like a monthly subscription where you pay like, I don't know what it's like, 50 or 60 bucks a month. And you can get like five downloads per month for that price if you use it more often, I guess. Gotcha. So I mean, like, so you've been using that for at least a little while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in my in my new role, I've been using it pretty often. Uh, it's pretty seamless. Um, it's. I wish there. I wish their search functionality functionality was a little bit better as far as like finding genres or like kind mm-hmm. of a uh, a sound you're looking for. But uh, they're pretty good as far as like categorizing things into genres and like stuff with instrumentals, stuff with vocals. Mm-hmm. They even uh, categorize, which I guess is good for editing, they even categorize it by, like, beats per minute, which is nice. Yeah, especially if you wanted to animate something to a specific tempo. Exactly, exactly. 
Yeah, so I guess you you use these kind of platforms for work. I use them f- essentially for fun. I in my spare time I do like uh, YouTube documentaries, and so I say I think probably about a year or so now I've been using um, Epidemic Sound, which is another one of the big platforms. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's set up a little bit differently. I think if you buy an individual song, it's like a hundred bucks. Jeez, but it, it's only I think it's only fifteen bucks a month for a subscription and it's unlimited downloads. So like it makes a lot more sense to just do the monthly. Um, yeah. And if it's similar to your, the thing you were describing, it has like a lot of genres you can browse through. It has, you know, tens of thousands of songs. Yeah. But the, even the one that I use, it even or, organizes them into like moods, so to speak, like happy, sad. Uh, there's even one that's just called corporate, which I use a lot. Uh, that's just like <laughs> more kind of, I don't want to say bland, but kind of formulaic corporate video sound uh, soundtracks. Right. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely useful, and uh, like you said, you use Epidemic Sound. I know there's other ones out there like Storyblocks, Soundstripe. Um, I think Shutterstock even offers uh, music now. They're kind of getting into like everything. Mm. Um, um, Adobe might as well, but I don't remember if they do. I wouldn't be surprised. They have a huge library themselves. Um, yeah, but yeah, there's there's tons of these different services out there, and we just thought it would be interesting to kind of dive into them and be like, you know, how do they li- license this music? How do they sort of get people to create music for them when they could be doing it otherwise, so to speak? Yeah. So I guess we should start by answering probably the question on a lot of people's minds listening to this: um, is what what does royalty free music actually mean? Um, and I I. What I did to kind of research this episode is I I went on to like FAQs and websites of all these different platforms and tried to compile their own answers to some of these questions. Um, And that'll become more apparent as we get into more of the discussion later on. Um, But specifically, uh, Soundstripe, one of these platforms, um, says, quote, the term royalty free implies that you won't be responsible for paying royalty fees when you license music or media. When you license through a royalty-free media company, that company pays the royalty so you don't have to. Um, essentially, as we are saying, as a consumer, you can just pay a flat rate for a song. You don't have to worry about, do I have the rights to, to play this song You know, in yeah. my commercial or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. They also say, um, can you use royalty-free music for commercial use? The short answer to this, to this question is yes. Whether you need music for monetized YouTube videos, corporate video ads, film projects, etc., you can use royalty-free music as long as you license the music first, which in a case like one of these platforms is basically just paying the fee. It's it's interesting. I mean, obviously these companies popped up because of the complexity of you know the royalty uh, process, I guess, for licensing music. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's like they almost kind of filled that vacuum of like smaller creators that are like, Hey, I want to use music, but I don't want to make my own. I don't want to pay someone to do it. I don't want to license, you know, Taylor Swift. So they're definitely kind of filling a gap there. Um, it's, it's, it's just interesting that it's like this entire industry has evolved because our royalty sort of licensing and law system is so kind of stuck in the past. Right. And we've, I think we've done like episodes specifically about yeah, that yeah. Whole we've thing. complained about it enough. We don't need to do it again. Yeah, um, and actually, what you were just saying, I feel like resonates with me 
uh, I, I, I wouldn't call myself a YouTuber, but you know, as someone who uses the YouTube platform to make videos, before I started using Epidemic Sound, it was very much like finding free, license-free music online is like, that that's good quality and is of the right mm. genre and all that kind of stuff is like really fucking hard. Yeah, it is. And after the first couple of videos, I was like, y'all, I can't do this anymore. I would... <laughs> like the 15 bucks a month is like more than worth it mm-hmm. um and i think the other thing that you touched on was like platforms like youtube are super strict about any kind of copyrighted material now exactly um, that's a very you good see point. people constantly tiptoeing around certain things in order to not trigger the algorithm essentially um so i think platforms like these royalty free music things are capitalizing on that need essentially yeah exactly that's a very good point i didn't even think about the concept the whole thing of youtube and like copyright strikes and all that crazy shit um but yeah no it's 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 definitely nice that you know they've kind of filled this gap um i'm curious and and you know, I'm sure they, like you said, they pay the royalties so you don't have to. I'm curious what their sort of payment systems are for artists that create music specifically for their sites. Like, do they get a, do they get like a fraction of each sale of the song that people purchase? Yeah, and that's partially what I was trying to research um, for this episode, and we'll kind of get into some of those details later down in the in the list. Um, but you you are leading into basically what the core of this episode is, which is basically, yeah, it's great for us, the consumers, and it's very convenient and for the most part affordable. But as a musician, is this worth it? And obviously we can't really give that advice because we're not musicians. We don't have your experience. Mm. Um, but I, I wanted to kind of go through some of that and try to answer some of those questions. And it does vary a lot by platform. Um some do one thing, some do another. Some are very open about what they, how they pay people. Some don't say anything. Hmm. Um, so it's, a, it's very much a mix. Now, the first of the questions I had written down here in this regard was, was I wrote, what are the benefits to music artists like in general before we get into the specifics of payment? Um, so I get that what I meant by this was for, for any aspiring artist, what would be their motivation to put their music onto one of these platforms? Yeah, I mean, obviously these these sites are going to kind of, you know, advertise themselves to not only consumers, but to content, to music creators as well. Um, And the one that you you use, Peter, Epidemic Sound, uh, the way that they kind of describe it is they say, quote, Our music catalog is used by leading content creators, broadcasters, ad agencies, and world-renowned brands to take their production to the next level. Our network of storytellers opens up your music to audiences of millions. We work closely with our network of talented artists and music creators to nourish creativity and help you grow. From first demo to final mix, you'll collaborate closely with our team of songwriters, producers, and sound engineers to produce world-class tracks. Develop your album artwork and film your music videos with our experts. This surprised me a bit because I, you know, it's hard for me to say because obviously like I haven't gone through that process, but they make it sound like they really collaborate with you on some level in terms of like what music to put on there, mm-hmm. which I, I just assume people were just taking whatever music they had already made and just threw it up there. Um, 
but they're making it sound more like uh, we'll work with you to develop what music goes on here and yeah. you know yeah. it may be a mix I just don't know yeah it's it's interesting that they're less like a hey we're just a platform for people to sell music to and more like a we're a talent development agency that will help you get noticed it's almost like they're trying yeah. to be like a music producer company and a music royalty selling company at the same time yeah it's like adjacent to a, a record label but not quite the same thing yeah that's that's what i was trying to think of yeah it's like a, it feels like if you walked into the like the office of a record label but everyone was sitting on like bean bags so basically it's it's a record label startup <laughs> <laughs> basically yeah i mean that's kind of what it sounds like um i i mean i will say at least in my experience there's it it, it hasn't felt like and you've probably seen a similar thing on premium beat which is the quality overall seems to be pretty consistent across all the artists like you don't it's not like one song is really good quality and the next one is just like some garbage that someone made up in their garage mm-hmm. you know so they, they seem to it seem there seems to be some kind of gatekeeping that ensures like a certain level of quality which isn't a bad thing yeah that's a good point i i, I have noticed that all the tracks that i've listened to and or purchased like yeah, they're different feels, but they they all feel equally well produced. None of them sound like yeah. I recorded this on my iPhone. <laughs> yeah, so maybe maybe that's part of where that collaboration aspect comes in. Yeah, true. Um, or I mean, or uh, not collaboration as much as just like we will work with you, which may translate into we will approve what goes on there and what does. Yeah, exactly. Um, I other play. I'll just summarize of what else I wrote down. Basically. Other reasons an artist might want to join one of these platforms, aside from just the exposure, if you will, is also, depending on the platform, um, you might be able to keep your rights to your own music rather than the rights going to the platform. Um, Obviously, there is some revenue generation. We'll get into that a little bit more in a few minutes. Stuff like that. I think a lot of it comes down to we can make your music kind of available to be used in, you know, commercials, YouTube videos, whatever, in a way that an individual person may not be able to do that. True. And I have I have noticed that even big YouTubers, like, they'll credit if they do purchase the royalty-free music or whatever for their um, vlog or whatever, they'll uh, they'll credit the artist in their, like, description. So mm. they, they it can get you some recognition as an artist, in fact, there's a couple of artists that I've actually found that do like uh, electronic music that I ended up following because they would create music for like vlogs and stuff. Okay, well, yeah, I mean that that's a good case of you know exposure can lead to a greater following. Mm-hmm, exactly. And all that. So yeah, there is some there is some merit to what they're saying. It's just they kind of fluff it up. Yeah, I mean you knew expect. I mean if if I'm pulling information from you know their marketing speak then obviously there's going to be some of that mm. um so i guess we have to look through it with some kind of lens <laughs> um i also kind of wrote down some we don't have to go through all of this but basically i kind of was researching like as as a musician how do you qualify for being on one of these platforms because uh, like we were kind of implying they're not just going to let anybody in or mm. let any music go up on the site um and we can maybe go back and forth a little bit on this. Um, Soundstripe, which is one of these platforms, uh, essentially said that you can't already have that music signed somewhere else. 
it has to be fully independent. Um, I, I have a feeling most of them are probably like that. Like, you have to exclusively yeah. do it with us. You can't license it elsewhere. Yeah. And, you know, that's not the worst thing. I think at least one of them said that they don't do exclusivity. Hmm. I don't remember which one it was. Um, but I, I like, think you're right. I think for the most part they do that. Um, Soundstripe interestingly said that they said we are not currently accepting submissions. So at least in their case, I guess they're only open at certain times, which is was sort of interesting to me. Yeah, that is. Um, another site that um, allows royalty for music that we didn't really discuss yet is a site called Take Tones. And they, they have some sort of like hurdles to submission as well. Is You have to have over a year of experience composing royalty free music, which I don't know how that's different than just composing music. Um Right. I'm gonna make the song with the with the intention of not getting royalties. <laughs> yeah, you have to make music without making money for at least one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um they say blah blah blah, your your work has to be unique and high quality. Uh there has to be a build up in your track and have no parts that repeat. I found that interesting. It it, it was weird that they listed that as a specific like qualifier for you the type of music you can put on there my guess is that be for sound editors or really just editors in general if you have a build-up and then there's no repeats in your track they can take that track and cut it up and repeat it as needed you know mm. so you're kind of paying for like 100 percent original sound and you can repeat it as you see fit as the editor right um, i have noticed actually that's a good point in in the premium beats which i'll get into in a sec uh, a lot of their tracks, even outside of like the EDM realm, have like a build-up, where like it'll slowly build to like a, I don't know what you call it, like the chorus, I guess, and it'll always be timed at around like thirty seconds. So I don't know if that's just kind of like a thing in editing, like you got to build up and then you hit them mm. with the, hit them with the logo, or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. I've never noticed that on Epidemic Sound, of that consistent like, but I, I'm also using it in a different context. So it's either you may be looking more for music that fits a certain type of edit. Yeah, maybe. Or that kind of thing. I mean, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the stuff I'm looking, I'm sure it's probably the same for you though. A lot of the stuff I'm looking for is like sort of chill, instrumental, usually some sort of EDM, but that's like non, that's not distracting from the visuals. Right. Something to kind of just fill your ear holes because there's no voiceover or whatever. Unlike Funk Radio, which is a voiceover and it fills your ear holes. With love. Um. Funk Radio. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Peter. Do you know what a website is? No. It's a thing on the internet and you can go there and it's fun. Is that where I can find things to do? Yes, you can find things to do there. (laughs) Uh, getyourfunk.com is a website. For Funk Radio, and there are, you can find our, our episodes there, and you can listen to them, and you can download them, and we have a tip jar. Do you like money, Kyle? I love money. Well, people will give us money there at getyourfunk.com. Yay! <laughs> Do you have a favorite episode of Funk Radio? I like the one about butts. Well, at getyourfunk.com, you can use the search bar and type in butts, and it'll pull up our episode that we did a while back about butts. Yay! And now back to our previously scheduled content. 
speaking of premium premium beat, uh, their qualifications are pretty similar to the others. Uh, music has to be 100% original. You have to have total control of the copyright. Uh, you have to make it exclusively available to premium beat. You can't license it elsewhere. It's a, they did say, quote, you may submit tracks that have already been placed elsewhere as examples of your work, but we will, we will require exclusivity on all tracks added to the library. So hmm. that's, that's, that's interesting. interesting, and I bet a lot of them do this. They, they probably vet uh, sub- submitters, where it's like just like an artist has a portfolio, they probably are like, hey, what's your portfolio of music? Right. So that you basically have to apply to them to be a, I don't know, submitter, so a creator, or whatever. Um, and that's probably how they control the quality, you know? Right. No, I mean, that makes sense, too. I think, I mean, they, if if they fill their platform with garbage, then no one's going to use it. So they have their own motivation for that. Yes. Anyway, I think I think that's fair on their part to kind of vet quality. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Um, I feel like there's so many, and I mean, we can get into this on a whole separate subject. I feel like there's so many Hmm. sites out there right now that cater to creatives, whether they be sound designers, editors, graphic designers, animators, whatever, that are based on this structure of like, hey, we'll let you sell your content on our site but you have to give us exclusive rights to it but we'll give you a cut of the sale yeah. every sale of that content so it's kind of one of those like yeah you may put a lot of work into something but when you have unlimited growth of sales then you know if you're really popular yeah. you could probably make a lot of money but it's probably one of those things where like only one percent of people really make like a decent amount of money from this yeah and actually, I'm thinking like probably a, a version of this business model that's existed for a longer time is probably like stock photographers. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you think about something like, you know, iStock or Getty Images or something like that, you know, you have photographers who submit their photography. Usually it has to be of a certain quality, much like this music thing. And then, you know, as people buy royalty-free photos from these sites then obviously the photographer gets a kickback. So, I mean, it's basically the exact same business model, but I feel like stock photography has been around much longer than all these other things. Yeah, and stock photography sometimes makes the subject uh, famous as well, like Hide the Pain Herald. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> took me a second. <laughs> I don't know why. I love that, I love that meme of that guy. Um, on, on that subject, did you ever see the video that was about, like, digging into the history of the... Windows XP background picture. Oh, I think so. And the fact that, like, they literally, like, created it for real. It wasn't, like, just some, like, 3D CG thing. No, yeah, it's, it was an actual photo, and it was put onto a stock photo site in Microsoft. I think they actually ended up buying the exclusive rights to that photo for XP, if I remember correctly. But anyway, the person in that video, like, tracked down the exact, like, angle and location in I think it was Napa, California. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm not thinking of XP. I'm thinking of Windows Seven with the like the window and the light shining through it. Oh, okay. That yeah. Sorry. No, Windows XP is the one with the hills. Yes. Sorry, I should have said that. Um. No, no, no. I'm dumb. Anyway, so that's that's an example of. I don't know if that. I mean, that photographer for that photo isn't 
like a household name because I don't even remember what its name was. But the part of the mm-hmm. the point of that whole like mini documentary was basically this might be the most, if not one of the most seen photographs of all time. Mm-hmm. And, and it got that exposure because it was initially submitted to like a stock photo website and all that. Um, you know, they explained it much better. But the, the point of that yeah. is like, it, it kind of goes back to what you were saying of the potential for, you know, widespread exposure is actually quite high. Whether it actually happens to you, that chance is probably pretty low, but it could happen. Exactly. It's it's like a, it's like a lottery system. I mean, that's kind of the way these, these, these companies operate. It's like they operate on the notion that like, hey, you could make a lot of money, but you probably won't. <laughs> that's basically YouTube. Yeah. Um, speaking of money, um, how do they actually pay people? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we should probably get into the whole, the, the question of how do these platforms actually pay artists when you really get down to brass tacks? Um, mm-hmm. This was... In the research that I did, this was the hardest question to answer. They seem pretty tight-lipped about how they pay. Like like I said earlier, like some are more open than others, but mm-hmm. most of them don't say anything about like how they actually pay people. I assume it gets they wait until you get more into like the contract stage and all that. Epidemic Sound was one of the few that actually did say something about it publicly. They said we offer short, flexible, non-exclusive agree- agreements with competitive upfront payments. We split royalties with you 50-50, even if you're no longer working with Epidemic Sound. So I guess, you know, they're not exclusive. And if you upload your music, you get paid whether or not you're actually actively working with them. That's cool. Which is kind of cool. And 50-50, I guess, makes it easy. Whether that's considered fair in the music realm, I have no idea. Although it's a lot better than Spotify, (laughs) I'll tell you that much. Good point. That's an interesting point, which, I mean, we kind of touched on a little bit. Is like, I wonder if the royalty payments of these songs on these royalty-free sites are better than Spotify, not so much in a, how do I say it, uh, you know, total listenership amount. Like, I'm sure probably you're going to get a lot more total listeners on Spotify because people are, you know, kind of getting it for free. Yeah. But it's like, would you rather have a hundred people that buy your song and you get a 50% cut of the $5 they pay, or would you rather have 10,000 people listen to your song, but you get like you get 10 cents. a penny, you get one penny for every time they yeah. listen. Yeah. I mean, it's, and I can attest that most, if not all artists, at least on epidemic sound are also on Spotify. So you can certainly double dip in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's for whatever point. it's worth. That's a that's a good point. I have actually noticed like some uh, people that do like EDM music for vlogs. I'll find them on Spotify, but mm-hmm. then I'll also see their stuff on uh, like pre- premium beats or whatever. Yeah. So, Epidemic also said, uh, "quote You'll also get a share of our one million dollar yearly soundtrack bonus, proportional to the performance of your tracks in our player." Which I I mean it's a big number, but if you split it up across ten thousand artists. Yeah, and it's proportional. It's like I mean, you bucks. might get ten cents out of that at the end of the year. Yeah, it seems a little. That's fancy. kind of a like flashy sure, marketing the, point, but that's not actually going to mean like much. The CEO of Epidemic gets a seven million dollar yearly bonus. <laughs> um, but Epidemic was really the only one that actually said any, literally anything about how they pay or like how much they pay or what the payment structure is. Um, mm-hmm. All of the other ones were very much not saying anything about it. 
Um, I'm sure that's I'm sure that's on purpose so that they can you yeah. know change the terms as they see fit down the yeah. road. Yeah, which I know it felt a little non-transparent. I guess I mean I I know that's by design, but it, it just felt a little like I don't know. I I wish they no, were a little bit more open about it. No, I agree. I mean, if you're if you're creating something for them, you want to know like how uh, how it's getting monetized and how much you can expect to earn back based on performance, not just like oh, trust us, we'll pay you. Right. Um, I I did write a uh, I did copy down a quote here um, from the talent agency MN2S, which kind of touches on the payment structure of these platforms. Um, they said, quote, once a musician builds up a reputation, they might get commissions from stock music libraries to make certain kinds of songs for specific clients who have requested them. While specific amounts these services pay users can vary, a report from The Guardian includes interviews from many successful musicians who make up to 30,000 pounds a year from licensing out their tracks. Now, I'm I'm guessing that's that that's... Bad, but that's not... In a lot of areas you probably can't make a whole full living on that but i mean that's not bad no. at least as a partial income yeah yeah um that's also you know i don't know if they cherry picked like the most successful people in that realm so the the chances of you making less than that are far higher i think yeah probably very true i mean even it's kind of sad because yeah even thirty thousand that's not enough to be a full-time gig that's basically like you know i'm already creating music as a full-time gig and i'm going to do this as a side gig or or some of the music that i created for the full-time gig i can license this way and whatever mm-hmm. but um yeah that's that's interesting so i guess the last question i wrote kind of for our discussion here is is are these platforms a good alternative to a record label or should they be seen as kind of like having a different purpose entirely? I, I kind of see it as a different purpose. Like the music you're creating for these royalty-free sites oftentimes is instrumental, it's non-vocal. Mm-hmm. So it's it's catering to a specific type of music for a specific need. So you're not necessarily creating music that you want to, what's the word, get out into the world and like become famous from, so to speak. Yeah, You're creating mu- music for whether it's corporate clients or what have you, that's a little bit more formulaic, so to speak. Um, which isn't bad. I mean, if you want to make money doing that, by all means. It's just I think the purposes are different between, you know, hey, I'm writing a, a rap song so I could be the next famous rapper, and oh, I'm creating some corporate, you know, EDM track. Right. I don't think it's a good alternative to a record label. I think it's a good supplementary to a record label for someone that enjoys... Uh, creating music for uh, sound design, whatever. Um, it's just like if a graphic designer has a graphic design job, but then, you know, on the side they, you know, have an Etsy shop where they sell stickers or some stupid thing like that, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that's a good way to look at it. I mean, especially with what the income we were talking about, if you probably, I would say if you're moderately successful, maybe you bring in, say, 5000 bucks a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no one's going to be, you know, paying the rent on that, but you know, that's also at the same time, not something to completely push away. Um, true. true. So I, I think you have the right idea of, you can't really make a living on it, but it's good as like a supplemental thing. 
that's that's always kind of I'm gonna go on a rant here for a second that's always kind of the frustrating thing with a lot of creative people is there's this incessant need to diversify income to create side hustles to monetize your passion because no one institution is gonna pay you enough to basically do something creative and make a good living off of it yeah that you know, there's this constant need of like, oh, I got to have a side hustle. I got to bring in extra income. I got to diversify my my income streams like you're a freaking business or something. Yeah. And it's just a little soul crushing, you know, sometimes as a creative person. Yeah. I mean, you and I have made it clear on this show all the time that, you know, as creative people ourselves, you know, a lot of the projects you do are you're going to do them whether you're getting paid for them or not. I mean, this show is one example of that. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, as I said, like I do the YouTube stuff. I don't get paid for that. Um, yeah. And I do those little motion things on Instagram and I don't get paid for that. Right. So like, and I think for musicians, a lot of that is the same. Like, obviously, ideally you would get paid for the thing you're good at. Um, and people should get paid for that. But, you know, in, in the world we live in, you know, creative people need to find various ways to make a living for themselves. But oftentimes the creativity is going to keep going beyond that specific box. Um, so I I think this is a good way to kind of capture some potential income for their work without being like a full paycheck, I guess. Um, I I guess one other thing I was thinking of too, was kind of like the audience for this might be different from like, record labels in the conventional sense like if you had uh fucking any any popular singer would not go to one of these platforms as opposed to like sony music company or whatever the fuck they're called you know these big music labels like if you want to make pop music you go to a record label that's just what you do And, and a lot of the people who are making this kind of music if there wasn't this, they just wouldn't go to record label because that's not really what they're trying to do. They're just making music for yeah, other purposes. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It's like the the people doing this aren't the same people trying to make it famous as a pop star. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying. No, that's a very good point. And that's the thing is like uh, music, sound, music editing, sound editing is so accessible now to literally anyone with a MacBook that yeah. it's like... You know, there has to be an outlet for people that do this stuff for fun as a hobby, but maybe aren't, you know, working for Sony, uh, Sony music label or what have you. Yeah. But, you know, are talented enough to make money off of what they do, just not, you know, working for Rihanna or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, no, in, in all, I think it's, I, I, I think it's a good service to offer. I wish they were more transparent, like you said, with their pricing with their payment structures. I wish that the royalty laws in the U.S. were less stupid so that this didn't even need to exist. Mm-hmm. But uh, it is what it is, I guess. But overall, yeah, I think I think it's a good service. I think it's just, you know, it needs a bit more transparency, which you can say about pretty much everything. Yeah, I, I think this is an interesting discussion to have. I mean, like, with, like, as we said at the beginning, like, these have kind of grown in prominence in the last probably five years or so. And I think as long as, to your point, I think as long as copyright 
law is the way it is, which, I mean, if history tells us anything, it will probably be that way forever, <laughs> um, that there will be a place for this type of music. I'm glad it does exist um, because for creators, it does make things easy. I don't know any musicians personally, so I would be interested to get someone's perspective on, you know, are were they promised, you know, a 50-50 cut and now they're making, you know, 25 bucks a year on it? I don't know. Um, and like we said, we're not going to like recommend this to anybody just because we don't, we don't know what this, how the terms compare to what you need and all that. So, um, but you know, I, at the same time, I think it's an interesting business model and, uh, makes for some good discussion, I guess. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. Uh, listeners, if you have used any of these sites in your own creative endeavors, or you've created music for any of these sites, um, I guess let us know on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash getyourfunk. That's starting to sound more and more old. <laughs> uh, it's been, as we, 10 years ago, Facebook was the it place. I don't know so much about now. Mark Zuckerberg's like, you'll you'll be sorry when, you, when you're all in meta. Or yeah, no metaverse, kidding. whatever he's calling it. You can also go to getyourfunk.com, which is not controlled by the metaverse. Um, <laughs> that's where we have all of our episodes, which you can download and listen to royalty-free. Yeah, you can use our voices royalty-free. Actually, maybe don't. I don't know. That's creepy. I mean, you could, but... <laughs> you have to pay me. Um, so yeah, this has been your host, your royalty-free host, Kyle. And this has been your premium host, Peter. Bye. Peter Plus. Peter Plus. <laughs>